All right, we're going to do another segment on the COVID situation surrounding vaccines. And um, I'm a little hesitant, I'm not going to lie to you, because talking about vaccines inevitably ends up in the same old song and dance. And part of me just hates it. It really does. I have said countless times that I don't feel I'm in a position to try and change anyone's mind about this. Um, I don't need to win any arguments with you. I, I firmly respect your freedom to choose to get vaccinated or not. To me, the choice is shockingly clear, and it is to the majority of Canadians, as we see by the numbers. But I understand that there are other people who feel differently. And, uh, okay, whatever. The issue here, though, is whenever we have this discussion, invariably, I hear from people citing garbage sources, the same ones, over and over and over, with made-up facts, half-truths, um, and it, it's, it's exhausting. So what we're going to do here, I feel I have an obligation to get the record straight, to just present the information in, 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 in an accurate fashion. Uh, so what we're going to do here is get some discussion around vac- vaccine safety, specifically approval, you know, how does it work? What testing process did these vaccines go through? And then we're going to talk about the adverse effects, how those are reported, how those are recorded, and what they mean, and what we can interpret from that data. Um, because they have become a wealth of misinformation. And I hear from people every single day about the 10,000 people who've died in the U.S. And I've tried to explain why that's not true, um, but I continue to hear about it every day. So let's get some details on this. Let's break it down um, and uh, get some insight into how all of this works. Joining us, we have Justin Vesser, who is the manager of ambulatory pharmacy services at the University of Virginia. Uh, Justin, thank you for joining us this morning. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Shay. Okay, so when we talk about these vaccines, first of all, let's talk about the testing and the approval process of these vaccines, because there's a lot of people who think that they didn't go through that. They're experimental sure. vaccines. We hear that all the time. They're experimental. They're no more experimental than any other drug or vaccine, correct? They went through the process. That is exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, the, the A vaccine is, at its heart, a drug or a medication, and there's a very specific process in the U.S. for um, the creation, the deployment, and the making it available to the public of a new drug. And this vaccine went through, these vaccines went through that process just like any other drug. Uh, the, the final approval process was slightly different, and that's what the emergency use authorization is all about. Uh, but the steps and the process uh, of how it, it gets tested from a lab all the way into a person's arm and then all the way to the public were the same. And the same phases that it goes through, the same animal testing. A lot of people say it wasn't tested on on It was. It was tested on rhesus macaques, and you can find that information on Pfizer's website. Right. That's correct. So no steps skipped. It went through the same process. How did it happen so quickly? Well, so the emergency use, use authorization process is not limited to just the getting a new drug to market. It was also used for lots of other things like... Um, some of the, the novel testing uh, processes that came out during COVID. We needed to be able to find out if people were COVID positive or not um, prior to the vaccine's arrival. And so it was used for that also. It's used for a usual, when there's a public health crisis, um, the emergency use authorization process can kick in so that something that might help stem the tide can get to the market quicker. Now, the confusion people have is they think that quicker means skipped steps, and that's just not re- that's just not real. Um, what it means is that oftentimes there's money involved, where uh, you know there's there's funds that are able to be made available for um, for massive amounts of research to be done more quickly. Sometimes there's steps that would normally be done sequentially that can be done at the same time. So in, in, instead of studying one aspect of the vaccine. And then once you're finished with that, starting a new study for another aspect of the vaccine, 
they can they can test at the same time. And so those are some of the tactics that uh, that, that an emergency use authorization uses to be able to get it to people faster. But the number of people that are tested, the number of, of uh, labs, you know, tests that are done, the scrutiny placed on how safe it is and how effective it is, is the same. Okay. Now, and I think this is a fair, and I'm and receiving comments from listeners as we're talking right here. Why has it only been granted emergency authorization? Why don't they go ahead with full approval? I think that would make a big, big difference in the minds of a lot of people. So what sure. is the difference there, and what is the process, and will that happen, and why hasn't it yet? I think it eventually will happen, and, and um, you know, the emergency use authorization, you have to think about what is the benefit to the company that's producing it of getting a full FDA authorization. Well, one of the benefits is during emergency use, they can't charge anything for it. So Pfizer, Janssen, or Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, they are not able to sell their vaccine to uh, a pharmacy or to a doctor's office the way that uh, that that they would if it had undergone full emerg- full uh, FDA approval. Um, you know the reasons for why that is. You know I, I don't uh, I don't know all the reasons there. There are uh, the the process. For one thing, we're still in in a, a worldwide pandemic. We're still in a state of emergency, and so I think that uh, even though you're right, you, you used the word in your opening lines here that I think was was very. Uh, um, you know, prescient for all this, and that's the word hesitant. You were hesitant to talk about this because of all the, you know, you're, you're right, people flare up and people, yeah. you know, lock down. Um, but hesitancy is real, and, and vaccine hesitancy is real. And, um, you know, getting full authorization might help to reduce some people's hesitancy. But, you know, the, the cold reality is that, that we are in uh, the middle of a pandemic still. It is raging across many other countries and many other parts of the world uh, and many other parts of the United States, and I'm sure Canada also. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it would be uh, to, to try and enforce um, uh, full authorization to fight hesitancy when there may be some other benefits of continuing under the, the emergency use. It's probably just not time for that yet. And hopefully we can fight hesitancy in other ways, because hesitancy is made up of a whole variety of different factors, um, some of which, you're right, there's no amount of arguing with anyone that's no. ever going to overcome those factors. But there are other elements of hesitancy that uh, that we have a, a pretty profound effect on with the right tactics. And so uh, that's what we've been doing at the University of Virginia, to try and combat hesitancy in our community. And there are some things there that we have some control over, and I think that might be more effective than, um, you know, than, than just plugging for a full authorization just to try and see if that makes any difference to people. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Um, okay, the one thing that always comes up, and uh, I, 
I understand the process. I just wish that it wasn't such an issue. Uh, VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse mm-hmm. Event Reporting System. I hear from people right. every single day saying 10,000 people have died in the United States. Um, no matter how many times I read directly from the VAERS website saying, mm-hmm. don't cite this information as saying this is what's going on. Um, explain to us how VAERS works. How does that reporting system actually operate? Sure. Uh, so there's and there's equivalent, which is you know there's equivalents to it all over the world in different uh, you know in, in different countries. Uh, but but theirs is there to be an easy the easiest possible way for any adverse events that might be associated with the vaccine, but also may not. Um, to be reported and can, can get back to the CDC, the FDA, and the manufacturers of the vaccine. It's, it's just a portal for anybody to be able to say, I took this vaccine, and then this happened. Um, it, it, it's just like if you were doing a clinical trial for a new drug yourself, and you wanted to be able to use a survey, or you wanted to have direct observation to find out, what happened to people after they took the vac- this drug or this vaccine? Did they get sick? Did they have a headache? Did they feel nauseated? Did they pass out? Um, did they have Guillain-Barre syndrome? You know, those are the things that in a clinical trial setting, you, you have someone who is directly observing those things. But once you get out to the wider world, um, you, you don't have control over the massive numbers of people uh, who are all experiencing the vaccine, and you want to have a way for doctors and pharmacists and for anybody else who and the patients themselves to be able to report those things because the more information we have the more raw data we have the better the chance that if we draw a conclusion from that data that it will be the right conclusion and that's all theirs is is a portal to massive amounts of data that then Pfizer and Janssen and the FDA and everybody else can try and see are there any correlations and and once you have a correlate correlation that's when you start to dig in to find out if there is any causation. And what people, a lot of people's fear factor has jumped in is they see the correlation and immediately assume the causation. And that's where a lot of this fear and misinformation is coming from. And, you know, I mean, the system, as you say, we're talking about tens of millions of people having received these doses. So all these adverse effects are reported. And then um, rather than leaping to the big number that's set across the top of the website, once they see a trend or they see an ambiguity or something, they can track it. And that's how we end up with the warning. So the system is working as it's supposed to, right? It's working exactly as it should. And and you know what, what a lot of researchers wish they had was they wish they had a sample size. One of the things that tells you that your that your your scientific study, the pure scientific method, uh, and any kind of clinical trial, one of the things that tells you that that you're going to be able to trust the conclusions that you draw from whatever you're you're testing, are do you have an adequate sample size? And because so the entire world was waiting on these vaccines to be able to come in and and, and kind of break the grip that that uh, that the disease had on us. The, the sample size was massive. I mean, massive. And in just a few months, you know, the 13 million people um, got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in the U.S. In, in just a few months. And so uh, any researcher, it would be their dream to have a 13 million person sample size so that then you could look at that data and, and truly find things that uh, that stand out and that make a pattern and that, that then you can draw your conclusions from. So, so theirs is working very well because it, it enabled us to capture that massive sample size. And, you know, if you look at raw VAERS data, anybody can go to the VAERS website and you can run a report and you can find out how many people uh, suffer from any given side effect. You can, you can export those and, re- and, and sort and filter them to your heart's content. And so the transparency of it is, is very comforting, you know, to, to me as a, as a scientist. Uh, and so 
Um, you know, and, and anybody can go and see that. Now, you mentioned a number that I think is really important. People say, uh, out of all the millions of people who, um, you know, got the vaccine, that 10,000 died or, or a large number of people died. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect example of how the correlation doesn't have anything to do with the causation. So if you were to just take a sample size of 13 million people across the country and just examine their traits over time, you know, how many of them have blonde hair? How many of them have a mustache? Uh, how many of them are left-handed? How many of them happen to die of any cause during the period of time that uh, you know that it's been on the market? You'd see those patterns are there, uh, but you wouldn't I mean, you wouldn't even think to draw conclusions from the hair color or the facial hair of of uh, you know any of the people that that uh, that got the vaccine right. because those things have nothing to do with each other. It, it just makes sense that out of thirteen people during the period of time that it would be reasonable to report an adverse event to bears that many of them died, uh, you know, of a heart attack or of any kind of natural cause that, that they certainly would have died from no matter what, independent of whether or not they had had the Johnson & Johnson vaccine or, or any of the other vaccines. And so what, what people do is they see, they, they look at that VAERS report and say, oh, my goodness, 10,000 people have died. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine has caused this. And that is, that's just not good science. Uh, and it's just not good statistics either. And we also see those cases that get reported. Uh, you're talking about uh, uh, Guillaume Barre, uh, related mm-hmm. to J and J. You know, there's different there's different risk factors that have been identified through these reporting systems. And once they're correlated, and you can find that causation and say, you know what, the vaccine is the reason this happened. Those warnings are put out far and wide. Yes, immediately. that's correct. Yep, that's correct. And 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 again, you know. Um, you're exactly right. And once we've been warned of it, if you watch any, um, you know, uh, of the commercials that come on TV for a new medication, you know, two-thirds of the time that the commercial's running is talking about all the different possible side effects. And some of them sound horrible. Um, but, you know, the, the it's it, any medical choice, any medication choice or vaccine choice comes down to your risks versus your benefits. Yep. And, you know, the 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 uh, the risk of developing Guillain-Barre from any source in the United States uh, is very small uh, per year. You know, a few thousand people per year experience that, and uh, you know there are there are some known causes and there are some unknown causes. And many people who experience it, uh, we never find out what was the trigger. Um, but uh, you know, the, the, what what we have seen from this this various data is that um, the period of time that, that the people who experienced it had it happen was fairly short after the vaccine administration and then cases drop off tremendously after you know about 40 days and so um you know the the risk is there it has still not been shown to be caused by the vaccine but there is a correlation there but the risk is microscopic compared to the risk of going unvaccinated and putting yourself at risk for you know, for a COVID infection, all kinds of bad things happen often to perfectly healthy people um, when they get sick with COVID-19. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, great stuff. Thank you so much, Justin. I really appreciate your time today. I hope this was helpful. And uh, please uh, keep this message alive because uh, people need to hear this. And and I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. That is yeah, Justin Vesser, who is manager of Ambulatory Pharmacy Services, University of Regina. So uh, not Virgi- uh, Regina, Virginia.